The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. People always say to me, how do you become a sports lawyer? Yeah. And actually the, the advice I always give to young lawyers is figure out what area of, of law you want to work in mm. and then move into the sports sector. Yeah. Because actually it's just an industry. You know, we have property lawyers, we have commercial lawyers, we have litigation lawyers, regulatory lawyers. Depending on what your niche is, mm. that's where you transfer across. Hello, I'm Kevin Poulter and today I'm joined by Rowena Summer-Sinha. Rowena's managed to do so many different things. She got an MBA in international sports management and has even hit the Legal 500's general counsel power list. I talked with Rowena about being a woman in a male-dominated industry, as sports law is. Following a decade working in Switzerland, Rowena's back in London, working at a new type of law firm, Level. The Hearing. Rowena, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about your surname. Because uh, uh, we've already had a little conversation before we started, just on pronunciation. So I'm going to have a go. Uh, apologies already in advance. But um, uh, Summerasina. Always. Oh, okay, you, you help <laughs> us out, place. please. Summerasinha. Thank you. And where does that come from? It's from Sri Lanka originally, actually. So uh, how, how uh, many generations ago was, did, that, did that come across? So both of my parents are um, Sinhalese and they grew up in Sri Lanka. My brother was actually born in Sri Lanka. Wow. Uh, and then they emigrated to London after he was born. So they've been they've been here for since nineteen seventy four. Okay, so so you grew up over here, and um, is there a legal connection uh, in your family? Is that an explanation as to why you've taken a route to law? Actually, there is. Um, my grandfather was a um, quite a big lawyer in in the south of Sri Lanka. Um, he wow. had 11 children and Gosh. none of them were lawyers. Oh, right. <laughs> so, well, actually, that's a lie. Sorry, my aunt's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> one of them was a lawyer. Um, and uh, and in, in the next generation, it's just me. So it's, uh, I'm carrying on the name. Yeah. We do still have a practice in the south of Sri Lanka. Wow. But, uh, but I don't do it. <laughs> and, and do you get over that very often? I tend to go at least a year, once a year, but if not twice, if I can. Yeah. Um, I'm still very close uh, close to close to Sri Lanka hmm. um, and I'm actually trying to do some work over there as well. Oh, so. Fantastic. Oh, maybe we'll come on to that to, uh, a little bit later. <laughs> um, so so well, well, there's a, a legal connection in the family, um, but what drove you to, um, to law as a career? Because just a lot of people have got lawyers in the families. What, what pushed you? Was it something from uh, within the family or just your own drive or motivations? I think probably it was in in the background of my mind mm. at the time um, when I was at school and kind of trying to figure out where I wanted to go with my career. Mm. Um, I actually really wanted to be a barrister when I was younger um, and I did a pupillage with um, a QC. Right. When I was younger, but he was friends with my parents and he told me not to do it, not to do it because really? it was really difficult being a woman and being Asian um, and I'd really struggle. Um, and so my parents a little bit put their foot down. <laughs> um, so we kind of agreed on a, a compromise. I'd uh, qualify as a solicitor and then I'd sort of take the route really? that I wanted to go. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> a so little bit unusual. I, I, well, do, doing what a lot of people assume happens anyway. You become a solicitor, then you become a barrister, yeah. which, which often is the other way around these days. Well, but. actually, I did originally think I would um, get higher rights of audience. I right. wanted to do commercial litigation, but okay. I sort of 
during the process of becoming a solicitor, I, I took a different turn. So where did the commercial litigation idea come from? Uh, again, pr- from wanting to be a barrister, I guess, watching right, Alan so, Mobile when I was uh, younger. Yes, no, thank you for being my generation. <laughs> um, for, those of, for those younger listeners, uh, it was an American TV show, uh, a serialised comedy drama would you say I don't know yeah, probably, um, yeah. but anyway look it up uh, I'm sure it's out available on uh, Netflix or the like um, uh, sorry so so Ali McBeal Ali McBeal and uh, that was the idea uh, and, and and so how what became of the reality um, I guess I started to well when at the time when I was qualifying as a lawyer uh, the sports industry was going a little bit more and I actually started to think maybe this was something that was interesting for me. Mm. Um, and I actually enjoyed the transactional work more than the litigation side of, of what we did. I did two seats in commercial. I did one in commercial litigation. And where was this? Uh, Cameron McKenna. Okay. Um, so actually, yeah, doing doing more of the transactional work, um, I enjoyed this more. Mm. Um, and then also really enjoyed doing the, the sports work that I managed to get my hands on at the time. So so you say you had an interest in sports, but is that sad at home watching the TV or uh, more participatory? No, so sport was uh, was quite a big part of my life growing up. Um, it started, well, my father was, my father's family were, were quite big sport uh, athletes in Sri Lanka. Wow. Um, okay. And I was dragged to the rugby at the age of eight at the weekends. <laughs> Um, but really playing or watching watching okay. at the time um, fell in love with it and uh, and started I played a lot of netball when I was younger mm. um, and then started running um, when I was about 10 years old uh, and then was quite lucky to go to Millfield um, which is quite famous for its sports so it was mm. a big part of my life um, as a child um, and I ran to quite a high level um, and I actually spent two years in Sri Lanka running over there as well. So do you think being involved uh, in sport from a young age has actually had an impact or any influence over your future career? I mean, I, I believe uh, participation in sport is so important at so many levels, not only from a health perspective, mm. but also in terms of um, really important, the development of, of important character traits, mm. uh, leadership skills, team team playing, yeah. all these sorts of aspects. Um, especially, I, you know, I, I see it really importantly for young girls mm. um, who are perhaps a little bit less confident um, to kind of boost their confidence mm. to, to help them grow. Um, which then for me translates into the workplace when you're mm. older. Um, I definitely believe my confidence, my competitive edge, mm. that all originates from having played sports um, for so many years when I was younger. And from going along with your father to the rugby. Going along to my father <laughs> to the rugby as well. But also, um, you know, I was really lucky to have a really strong female role model in my mother. Mm. You know, she, um, Is she a sports person as well? She she did play netball. Okay. <laughs> but um, no, definitely she's she's got much more into sport um, as a result of the rest <laughs> of us. Um, but no, she was, you know, she worked full-time she you know the reason we're in England was because she was we came over because she was working as a nurse here Um, and that was all through when we were when we were babies and we were growing up Mm. so we've I've always had this strong female figure who's managed to balance work with raising a family and Mm. you know we still have such a great relationship so it was always 
clear to me that I would be able to do the same. <laughs> Haven't got there yet. <laughs> but um, but no, having that having that influence as well was was really important to me. And having a nurse there as well to re- to do the bandages to, to sort out the grazers. <laughs> exactly. um, surely the whole team's uh, in the family. I did fall over a lot as a child. <laughs> But it was always for fun. My yeah. father had made that clear. <laughs> I sound I sound like I'm ju- I'm being completely run by my parents. <laughs> no, but um, no, I mean they they made a lot of sacrifices for me growing up. So it was always a, a part of th- that was in my back was, was in the back of my head mm. to make sure that uh, that you know we we had stable careers mm. and and were self sufficient. So it's one thing uh, uh, participating in sport. Um, uh, being a sports person um, and also even watching it. But the business of sport is something completely different. Uh, how, how did you get to grips with that? And, and did CMS offer any sort of support along those lines? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny because you spend sort of, I think, 15 years immersed in the sports industry and think you think you know everything about sport mm. and then suddenly when you're trying to work in sport everyone turns around to you and says well what do you know about sports yeah. <laughs> um but it's true i mean it's uh it it's sort of the the, the business side of what we do is so different i mm. think you know everyone loves the idea of working in sport but the reality is, is that it ruins you going to watch a game for the right. rest of your life because <laughs> all you do is watch the advertising boards yeah. and the way in which it's broadcast um no i mean it's there's a there's a whole other world that's just grown and grown and grown mm. um but no it's uh it's it, it's it is difficult actually to get that kind of the business experience um mm. And actually, when I was trying to get into sports, uh, that was sort of the roadblock that I f- that I felt every time. Everyone was saying, "Well, well what do you know? What's mm. you know? What's your awareness about the business side of it?" Mm. So, getting experience in that in that side was my was my challenge. Mm. Um, but like I said at Cameron's, it was great because we had some work in most sports. Um, and actually, when I when I left. Um, they were considering setting up a sports department, oh. um, which now they I think... That was a coincidence. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, they, they thought it was a good opportunity because I was so driven by this um, ambition to work in sports mm. that they saw an opportunity to use that. I mean, I was very junior right. at the time, yeah. but I had a very... Penelope Warren was a great um, female role model, actually, and she really was pushing... Um, women like myself who was that at penelope warren okay she's now a uh, senior partner yeah um but she uh but she actually said that to me at the time and and i remember thinking i'm like a year qualified what you're mm. talking about but um but it was yeah i mean now they've actually they're in the top 10 i think um after their merger with Oldswag. But um, but no, now there's there's such a big industry around it. Whereas back then it was it was a lot more niche, a lot of smaller law firms. Doing yeah, it. yeah. I, I've I've got a very limited experience of it, but I, I remember when I was working up in Leeds, uh, we had a, a sports lawyer um, who was really, uh, forgive me, um, an employment lawyer who did some employment or sports contracts, um, and and I'm sure a lot more besides. But that was that was the, the basis of it to start with, and. Uh, that's that's been my only real experience of it until I did some work as well around sort of broadcasting rights um, way back when. And it's such a broad sector. Um, do you feel like you are specialist in any particular area? Because it takes in so many different what I would call practice areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what, would, what would you say you fit in that? Or are you across the whole... Well, I mean, people always say to me, you know, how do you become a sports lawyer? Yeah. And actually the, the advice I always sort of give to young lawyers is to say, actually, 
figure out what area of, of law you want to work in mm. and then move into the sports sector. Yeah. Because actually yeah. the sport, it's just an industry. You know, we have property lawyers, we have commercial lawyers, we have litigation lawyers, regulatory lawyers. It's depending on what your niche is, mm. um, that's where you transfer across. I mean, my I qualified as a commercial IPIT lawyer mm. because I wanted to do transactional sponsorship broadcast negotiations. Yep. And so there was a there was a fit with that. But if your love is litigation or, or you know, there's uh, the regulatory side mm. is so big, mm. um, that's, that's just the way you, you train and then move over after that. And then you talk about the, the rules of the game as well, or whichever uh, field it might be. Um, is that something you've ever had any involvement in as well, or is that completely separate? So that's really a, a regulatory standpoint. I okay. mean, I've, I've been involved um, with my work with, federations mm. i've been involved in um helping them with their regulations but it's always been on a marketing side rather than actually mm. the competition aspect mm. of, the, of the sports mm. so um that would be more um yeah more regulatory lawyers doing that so let me take you back to your career for a moment so we're at cms we mm-hmm. know that you've moved on yeah um where did you go what, what, what came next <laughs> so i spent about two years begging people to give me a job in sports <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, finally I, I kind of had a, a break um, when I got a offer from Sport5 um, which is a German football sports agency uh, oh, not work. the obvious place to go no well actually they were based in Geneva um, and at the time I'd also sort of been thinking about a move to Switzerland as well so it kind of all the stars all aligned what's um, the reason for that so they were working as the broadcast agent for the UEFA Euro 2008 so they'd set up an office in Geneva right. to service UEFA and it was a small office I think mm. there was 15 of us um, and uh, that was solely to work with UEFA whereas Hamburg was for a lot of their German football business. So I uh, packed my bags and moved over to Switzerland in 2007. Wow. What was that experience like? Um, Because I imagine there's not a great community to go straight into uh, of English lawyers. I don't know. No, I mean, but actually there's a huge expat network. I mean, Geneva itself because of the UN, well, finance, um, the NGOs, the UN, um, all of that actually you kind of move into this again actually because i lived in various places during my life and suddenly found myself in this big expat network mm. and i had two friends from school who moved over at the same time um and we sort of had this group who are still my friends actually in switzerland right. wow. um and we kind of did everything together and it was it was it was great because you know if you love sports mm. um you kind of worked during the week and then ran off to the mountains at the weekends mm. Um, whether that was skiing in winter or biking and climbing in summer, mm. um, it was. It really is quite a great life. Geneva itself is quite quiet, especially when you're used to London. Um, yeah. So that was a bit of a, a shock to the system, but uh, but one you could get used to quite quickly. I definitely. Can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great it's a great environment. I mean, a lot of my friends have um, started families out there. Mm. Um, it's a great environment for raising children. Uh, and definitely, the, I think, you know, a lot of my friends who worked in the finance sector, for example, said that it was a much bigger work-life balance. Mm. Um, the Swiss like to have their long lunches and then they like to finish work on time. Yeah, yeah, that's starting to appeal now. Uh, <laughs> Not so much the sports industry, but definitely for, for everybody else, it is a bit more consistent. And you were working on Euro 2008. That suggests to me that it might be sort of 
time barred. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what came next? So I um, I could have stayed on actually at Sport Five, although I um, I did have these fears that they were going to send me off to send me off to Hamburg. Mm. Um, so I'd already started looking at other opportunities. Um, I guess about six months before, and there are a few things to come back to London. Mm. Um, and then actually I had two offers in Switzerland. Um, and funnily enough, uh, the one I took uh, was actually, well, at the time I said it was almost my dream job. Um, and I actually said no to it at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> As you do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I moved on to my, my last role, which was um, general counsel of a, a smaller sports agency um, on the German side of Switzerland, mm. um, working with a, a Japanese advertising agency called Dentsu who um, work across uh, actually most international sports properties so it was a uh, suddenly a, a shift from working solely in football to yeah. working in um, a lot of sports so why did you almost say no um, because <laughs> I'm I guess as I don't know probably a lot of lawyers are you were, were very driven ambitious mm. um, I kind of wa- worried that I would get to the stage that I probably did get to of um of, of complacency and, and wanting something more right and uh i almost felt like i wish i'd found that job 10 years later right um because i knew that i'd want to do something mm. different mm. um but i loved it i mean i was working in athletics predominantly right um going to the world Cha- i mean i remember going to my first world championships in 2009 and just pinching myself the whole time because i couldn't believe that this was my job um so it was it was a really great experience yeah um but yeah it was i was i was i was overly worried <laughs> and is there is there is there any ex uh, I suppose, is there any um worry that you were going to see sort of behind the curtain uh, sort of the, the backstage mess of of sports <laughs> the sports world um did you see that is, is it has it had any sort of negative impact on you and you you mentioned about not being able to enjoy it quite as much because you're distracted by the advertising or, or what's going on but did you see the sort of the, the dirt and the, the sort of the hot mess that might be going on behind the scenes it's funny actually that that thought never crossed my mind at the time mm. um, I just wanted to be involved in mm. that process but um but certainly uh, in my experience you kind of see it's, you see these great events that mm. are all put on and they all everything always turns out fine but when you're in the background running around, um, I had an event last year uh, where the, there was a problem printing the tickets the day before the event started. <laughs> and this was okay. a huge event. <laughs> so the, the, the ticket company had to be sacked, I think, on day one. But things like this, which are just a nightmare mm. um, that you that you don't even you don't see as a spectator, mm. which is the idea, mm. obviously. Um, but we're all sort of running around with our hair on fire in the background. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's all part of the part of the job and part of the experience. Yeah, and and uh, I, I've, I've people will be able to go and find you on the Twitter. Um, <laughs> but you have a photo, your profile photo, I think, is um, <laughs> you and your same ball. Is this is this right? This, this is, is it's very impressive. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you didn't just like follow him onto the track. Um, how did that come about? Um, so working with uh, working with the IAAF, obviously, I the, the the time span I was there was was the years the bolt years as we mm. call them. Um, 2009 when he broke the world record in in Berlin that still stands Mm. um 
we had ran a world record program um, that was sponsored by our two sponsors, Toyota and TDK. And as part of that, they um, they they paid a bonus to the athletes. Right. And then they um, received some marketing rights in return. And actually, mm. with bolts, <laughs> I think I had to had quite a tricky negotiation with his agent um, because obviously he was an up and coming athlete at the time. And uh, we we settled on um, a photograph of Bolt in front of the TGK 100 meter start board right. that could go up in the president's office. And so we did this. Uh, we had to we had to figure it all out and do this photo shoot. And it was it was brilliant because I was doing it as a lawyer. <laughs> um, but uh, but we had this great photo shoot before I think it was the 200 meters um, medal ceremony. Mm. And Berlino, the mascot, came running in and everyone who was in the stadium sort of got behind it. And then I saw an opportunity and I said to his agent, I said, do you think I can have a quick picture with him on the track that he's just uh, obliterated the world record yeah. on? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I laugh with him now about it because I said I, I was actually... Uh, looking so young both of us look so young in that picture and I said well, you know we need to we need to have a new one done recent now <laughs> so yeah, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure you can negotiate that with quite well, a lot exactly. for a fee no doubt, um, I'm sure not so but again that's like what a, a, an unusual experience for most lawyers um, and what also comes into play is obviously your diplomacy I guess in, in negotiating and uh, bringing in all the different parties uh, what's, what's your experience of that as a lawyer uh, be like yeah, I mean, I think the biggest um, challenge I'd say I've found is, is that we've had, we always have events all over the world. And so dealing with organising committees in, in different jurisdictions mm. where um, a lot of them are government people um, yeah. and they all kind of come to the table saying, well, you know, you don't know our country. Mm. And, and we're trying to say, well, yeah, we don't know your country, but actually we have a lot of experience. We want to help you because it's in all of our interest to make this event a success. So that's often quite challenging, mm. and um, and yeah, you know, understanding international cultures, the way mm. dealing with the Chinese, dealing with the Russians, is very different to dealing with 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 the UK teams. Mm. So it's um, so yeah, that that aspect is definitely important, um, and also not not coming in and saying this is this is the way, not telling them how to do it. Um, because actually that that element yeah. is really important when you're staging an event to get the, the local feel mm. and, and what's going to appeal to local audiences. Mm. Um, so definitely that's, the d- diplomacy comes in into it a lot. Mm. And, and how, because this was a general counsel position, and how much uh, responsibility did you have for, let's say, the areas of law that you might not be as comfortable in? Um, how did you go about filling those gaps? Yeah, I mean, when I when I took on the role, it was certainly a huge um, leap mm. in, uh, in experience. And uh, it was suddenly I'd gone from negotiating broadcast agreements yeah. to doing everything. Um, and obviously I had experience on the sponsorship side. Um, but it was, like I said, there was a lot of regulation drafting. Yeah. Um, and just areas of, of law that I'd never really experienced before. But you kind of you're not on your own at the end of the day because mm. you know I was working with a team of, of people they may not have been lawyers but people who've been working in the industry for so long there was so much experience um, one of my bosses was an ex-lawyer as well right. um, so although I was on my own I didn't really feel like I was also really lucky because I've got so many so many people 
from my past who mm. were always at the end of a phone for me um, if mm. I was struggling on something specific. And, and, and how much is English and Welsh, I should say, uh, law, um, sort of the norm? Because uh, you're working in Switzerland, mm. you're working with countries all around the world, yet you're an English lawyer. Yeah. Uh, did you have to pick up various other jurisdictions as well? No, fortunately not. <laughs> I mean, um, so actually a lot of the contracts that, that we used were had been were kind of hangovers from this, this big sports marketing agency from the 80s. Right. Well, 80s, 90s. Um, and they, they had predominantly English lawyers. So, so although a lot of these contracts were subject to Swiss law, they were drafted as these lengthy English mm. contracts. And mm. those were a lot of the precedents that you still see with a lot of the federations. Oh, right. Um, actually, <laughs> under Swiss law, you don't need any of that because it's codified. So you could have a one-page document. Yeah. But um, but actually, this wow. was still the norm that we negotiated them in the English style. Mm. Um, it's changing a little bit more because now there are a lot more international lawyers. But at the time, certainly, it was a lot of English lawyers mm. um, in the in the federations and in the agencies as well. So we weren't really negotiating on technical points of, mm. of law. It really was a commercial mm. um, negotiation. If if there was a specific um, issue of, of local law, we had a Swiss lawyer who mm. um, who I would always consult with. But actually, often in a negotiation, especially for international sponsorship agreements, for example, we may not have ended up on Swiss law. We may have ended right. up, on, you know. And also, I was negotiating for federations for for Dentsy, who's a Japanese entity. Yeah. Um, it may have ended up being New York law. Mm. Um, and none of the lawyers in the room would actually be. <laughs> but if you're not, if you're not, you know, you, you know that actually you're not advising on on the applicability under that law. You're, yeah. you're picking a jurisdiction that, yeah. that works for the parties involved. Huge pressure, though. Did you feel that pressure? Yeah. Retrospectively. <laughs> Retrospectively, probably. I mean, you know, as I said, like there's always the great thing is, is you know, when you've got a great network, yeah. there's always someone to speak to. And and if there was anything. Um, that did need local local law or, or a health check, mm. then then we'd always go to to the relevant lawyer. Mm. So suddenly we're not sat uh, in the the mountains of Switzerland at the moment. <laughs> um, we should just confirm this. Uh, and you're back in London. I am uh, for the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, what's brought you back? So. Um, well, as I said before, I, I thought I'd probably get itchy feet after a while, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did. And uh, I guess. When you've when you've been in a job that you you love so much mm. and a challenge to such a high level, it's really difficult to find a role that builds on that next. Mm. So um, I kind of had toyed with leaving law. I'd mm. uh, I did my MBA. I, I'd kind of looked at other options as to to what next. Um, and actually, I about two years ago, I identified a, an opportunity with smaller um, federations and mm. um, sporting organisations. Actually, I've always wanted to work more with athletes as well okay. um, to offer them legal advice, but also sort of commercial yeah. um, brand building yeah. um, services. So that's what I'm doing right now. I, um, I, I finished at my last agency at the end of January mm. and I uh, joined Level as a partner um, on the first of Feb, and I also set up my own commercial consultancy as well. Wow! So called Gen Sport. Well, just just repeat that for us. Just, uh, uh, Gen Sport. Uh, okay. Um, uh, and and well, first of all, tell me a little bit about Level because it seems like a, an interesting 
business. Um, I'll, I'll leave you to talk about it. Yeah, so um, Level was founded by um, four very senior lawyers who I've actually known my entire um, sports legal career. Um, they just, again, they saw an opportunity to do something a bit differently, mm. um, to move away from the traditional law firm structure. Um, and they saw it as a way in which they could service their clients better. Mm. Um, they were very established, all of them. So they all had their own um, clients that they'd worked with yep. for so many years. So they, they set up this, what, what we call new law firms, um, mm. which again, just is, it's, it's sort of on the, the keystone model mm. um, where you all have your own practice. Yep. Um, and it, it just means that you have flexibility to, um, to price your, your mm. projects as you like to, to, to work in different ways with clients. Um, but also under the umbrella um, of the same law firm. And mm. for Level, is, Level is different from Keystones of the World because actually we are a niche sports media technology law firm. Mm. Um, and we are, we, we do work more together. And the idea is, is that we work, we'll be pitching together in the style of a, a, a traditional law firm. Yeah but still having our own sort of practice around that. Fantastic. And, and, and that element of uh, commerciality and, and uh, sort of knowledge of the specific sector, um, how important is that? Because yeah, you see people all, all the time. I, I speak to uh, colleagues who, oh, I want to move into sports law, and just like it's something you can do overnight. How much has it taken to, to get to where you've got to? Uh, not just in years, but in terms of experience generally. Um, I mean, I think as like I had, I mentioned it before, I had such a steep learning curve mm. at the start of my career. Um, jumping from, I mean, well, for a start, the experience I had doing IT outsourcing contracts, mm. I still credit as being key to, to, to me be as a lawyer. Right. But actually um, getting that sports experience, um, it, breaking in was really tough. Mm. Um, but as soon as you've worked on a on a major event, like I was lucky to get with uh, the Euro, mm. um, it it just it, it takes you to a different level. And then working with different um, different organisations with Dentsu uh, gave me such a breadth of knowledge around the way that so many different sports mm. work. Um, and I think that's something that I'm really lucky to be in a position to have because I've worked in. I've worked in the Olympics, I've worked in football, I've worked in athletics, I've worked in volleyball. Um, and each sport has a different approach yeah. to the way in which they, they market themselves. Yeah. But actually there's learnings from all of those as well, which you can then, and that's the idea now, is that I can actually take that experience I have from an international sector mm. and actually transfer that yeah, within the UK market. And, and you mentioned the MBA. What, what was that in? So I did um, an international sports MBA, okay. uh, international sports management MBA at Loughborough. Um, I was thinking about doing a full-time one at Lind uh, London Business School, mm. but it wasn't really the time for me to take time out to do that. Mm. Um, and actually, I wanted to do one that was more sports-focused sports because that was where I wanted my career to go mm. anyway. And has that... Do you think that's complemented your legal career or has that just given you a, a backup um, on, on the business side of things? <laughs> no, I mean, it was never, uh, it was, it was never, it was never a backup. It mm. was more to build on, on that. actually, I think the more senior lawyers I speak to, the more we actually all tend to do more commercial work as, yeah. as you get to a certain point in your career, just because of the experience you have dealing with the organisations mm. that you are. Um, but I, 
was thinking at the time of of, of switching into a, a commercial role. Mm. Um, but actually, it turns out that I quite enjoy the law. <laughs> Who'd have thought that? Who'd have thought? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's at a certain point in your career, you appreciate that that's your strength um, and, and actually what people know me for. Mm. So although the commercial work comes alongside that, actually the core work that I do is, is still the legal side. And you mentioned very close to the beginning of our chat that um, you were you were told it would be difficult for, particularly for an Asian woman, to, mm. to break into the bar. Um, do you think it's been any easier <laughs> in the sports world? No, that's uh, probably the same. <laughs> no, I mean, we're certainly when I um, when I started in sport, it was um, definitely a, a very white male industry. Mm. Um, it's actually really interesting the change it's gone through, uh, the change I've seen firsthand over mm. the last fifteen years. Um, but no, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, the great thing is, is that when you get in, you stand out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for better or for worse sometimes. <laughs> you better not mess it up. Um, no, I mean, it is, uh, you know, I mean, I think we can all, we, we've all seen it. I think there's mm. a, a, a great movement at the moment, um, especially in the world of sports, mm. um, with women's sport moving to the forefront, but also in the business side, um, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, um, recognising that actually mixing things up a little bit um, creates opportunity for more creative thinking, open debate and actually better decision making. So I think that is slowly trickling down. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's great. We in sports specifically, the UK Code of Governance has recognised this and mm. um, set targets. Um, which again is tricky because it's 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 less for me about saying okay you're a woman therefore you're in that mm. role. For me, it's always been actually I just want the opportunity. I want yeah. to be considered. Yeah. Um, I don't want people to look at me and think that I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm a woman and mm. because I'm Asian. Um, I want I just want to be considered for these opportunities and mm. then be able to show actually I can do them well. And I think that's what that's what the point is about this movement. Mm. So now you've taken your own opportunity and yes. it's, it's all on you now uh, to, to, to build that profile, but to build that client base. So how, how would you go about finding those uh, sports people, particularly who are at the start of their careers rather than already in the mix uh, as they're sort of established? So the idea is, is that there'll be a bit of a mix. I'll be working um, with, well, I'm, I'm actually planning to work with agents actually. Um, so there's also going to be um, a lot of established athletes, mm. but also working with the kind of the up and coming ones. I, I'm not planning to do the day to day management, but actually take over the sort of the commercial brand building for them, right. including, you know, offering them legal services, making them more professional. That's, yeah. that's the idea. Um, but it's, it's a bit of a mix, actually, really. You know, you know next week I'm, I'm going up to Birmingham to meet um, an up and coming squash player. Um, and it's just, it's actually, it's great with my network because mm. even actually through Millfield, um, right. you know, you, you get exposed to new talent yep. um, and people who just actually just want to have a chat with you to have mm. your opinion of it. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, the net, my network's been pretty amazing because of, again, the, the variety of work I've been doing, the people who I've come across, yep. even dealing with so many different brands, um, you know, I've, I've, we worked so closely with Adidas for so long. I really got to see how their athlete business worked mm. and actually how they identified talent, how they um, took them through the ranks and, and actually what the implications were of injury. And, and so understanding mm. that side of, um, of how 
athletes fund themselves actually mm. um so it's a bit of a mix it's um yeah but it's so much more than just being a lawyer it's it's everyone talks about being a trusted advisor and that sounds exactly like the role that you're taking yeah no definitely i mean i think i think when you're in house you really you move away from from being just a lawyer um certainly you you end up supporting every aspect of the business um and and that is you know getting to know your business as well at all levels whether mm. it's relevant to what you're doing or not mm. um and that is things like understanding um the challenges of a very small uh, well world record program on on yeah. on a battery <laughs> like bolts and yeah. and understanding that actually you know we, we can't do that much with him because mm. he's got his own commercial program yeah um whereas with a female hammer thrower for example mm. she's so grateful to receive mm. this bonus that actually she's really happy to, to get as much exposure as yeah. she wants as she can yeah yeah and and certainly you've already mentioned it that i think there's so much more recognition and awareness now around sport generally um but particularly around women's sport that it's just going to keep going i, I presume are we going to reach a cliff edge at some stage is is formula one going to swallow everything else up or, or implode um what, what do you foresee in the future i mean there's there's oh, it's such an interesting time in sport at the moment um with uh, the digitalization of sports mm. with with the growth of women's sport um i think there's there's <sighs> I think a lot of people thought that actually with um, with the arrival of these OTT platforms, which is uh, the, the Netflix of sports mm. like DAZN, with ESPN have got theirs, mm. Eurosport, I think everyone thought actually we were going to move away from consuming sport on television and that was going to have a huge impact yeah. on the industry, whereas actually it's shown that actually people still watch sport yeah. on television. Yeah. These other things around it um, are enhancing it. We, we've got amazing data opportunities now to see athletes' mm. heart, heart rates when they're competing mm. and to understand a different side of sport, but that all supplements your basic watching of sports. Um, I think the female angle is still such a long way to go. I mean, yeah. it's, it's brilliant what's going on. There's a real movement. A lot of sponsors are stepping up and committing more mm. to female sport, as, they, as much to female sport as they do to, to male sport. Okay. Um, you know, it's 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 difficult because I've worked in in some sports such as athletics and swimming, where mm-hmm. actually females have been have been yeah they've been competing on par with ma- with males all the time, but um, but certainly in the more mainstream sports like football, rugby, and cricket, um, there is a real push now mm-hmm. to raise profile, mm-hmm. um, and but there is still a long way to go. Mm. Well, it sounds like you've got a long way to go as well um, to keep going in a good way, <laughs> uh, and uh, and are you still running? Um, unfortunately not because I have no knees left oh no <laughs> but um, a lot of ski mountaineering okay. and biking okay not so much around the hills of London I'm guessing not but, so much here yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you for, so much for joining us it's been fantastic and just interesting from my point of view we're going to talk more about the Formula 1 in a moment once we, once we stop recording um, uh, but thank you once again great thanks so much The Hearing As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.